Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Brand new Flyers Daily. Hey, leap year edition. How about February 29th? I don't, I've never done a February 29th edition of Flyers Daily. But even though it's a leap year edition, it's still presented by Ticketmaster. Make more memories live. Where I want to start with this episode, we're going to get to a ton of Flyers Twitter questions, some mailbag stuff that came in to my email DMs over uh, the last day or so. Let me first say this. Let's start here. No game tonight. Um, it's kind of a chill day. No game last night. This isn't a breakdown episode of a game. This isn't a preview of a game episode. So it gives us a little bit of a chance here to kind of stretch our legs a little bit and have some fun conversation. I thought about booking a guest or taping somebody for this segment. I was like, you know what? We do a lot of that. We have a lot of guests on, and we're going to have Keith Jones next week and Danny Briere around the deadline and other players and, and coaches and, and other stuff. So I thought this would be a great chance to just kind of stretch our legs a little bit, catch our breath after a, a month where, what, there was 10 games, I think, in the month of February? But a month coming up that starts tomorrow where there's 15 games in 30 days. So just a chance to, you know, as fans, observers, as people that watch and are invested emotionally, financially, everything with this team, it's a really good chance to just catch our breath a little bit here. Because when it all begins again on Friday in Washington, the 15 games in 30 days and the push from basically Friday to Tuesday, April 16th, the end of the season. And there's some pretty big question marks. So I figured this is a great opportunity to get into some fan questions and some other stuff. But I keep getting derailed. Where I want to start is here. Everybody that listens to this podcast or views this podcast on the YouTube channel and comments down below or sends me emails or DMs or tweets at me, whatever they are, um, first and foremost, you guys are awesome. Because the amount of engagement that we have via those different platforms I just talked about, whether it be email, DMs, Twitter, whatever it is, um, is the only thing that keeps me going on this podcast. Because frankly, when it comes to podcasting and on-demand content, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I just kind of do whatever I feel. And I dip to you guys quite a bit and defer to kind of help uh, be the compass for the show, for the for the podcast. So you guys are awesome. You provide such great insight. Sometimes we differ in opinions. Sometimes I may think you say something that's ridiculous. Sometimes I go, I didn't think of that. Damn. You know, great stuff. So stick taps to everybody that not only just listens, but it, for those people that correspond as well and have become a part of this Flyers Daily community. And, and it's one of the things that I did strategically try and do and make this a community. So this is a great community episode. Um, the last couple of days, I got so many emails about the commentary that I made about the Matt Rempe situation with the Rangers, and he fought Nick Delarier Saturday in that staged fight, and then fought Matthew Olivier on Sunday, I think in like his five games he's fought five massive heavyweights I saw some pictures of him his face looks just ridiculous I mean he's gotten pummeled he's tough he's big and all that but I mean he his face looks like it's been smashed into hamburger so uh, we've gotten a lot of great emails 
and, and correspondence about that. That seemed to really kind of hit a note with a lot of people, which I thought was 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 very interesting. So always like to know what people think. Um, but in this episode, kind of where we're going to go here is I, I put out a tweet yesterday. I was trying to figure out what the heck am I going to talk about on the pod tonight? What, what's the best way to kind of deal with this situation of no game to 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 react to, no game to preview? So here's where we go. Uh, first of all, uh, obviously Flyers did some business yesterday. Cal Peterson was put on waivers for the purpose of reassigning to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Nobody's going to claim him. Just I'll tell you that now. Um, and it'll likely be Felix Sandstrom brought up. But it's one thing we will get into in this episode is Flyers goaltending. Is that the right move? And I don't mean sending Peterson down, but subbing Peterson for Sandstrom. So um, we're going to get into that. And, and um, one of the things about this podcast is that my job is to take that emotion out of it and not be reactive. But in this podcast, I'm going to have some really deep down, honest opinions on some things. And it may shock a few people with some of the opinions that I have here. Um, so I put out the tweet, no Flyers game tonight, uh, no Flyers game tomorrow night. So let's take some questions for tomorrow's brand new episode of Flyers Daily. Drop them here and we'll get to a bunch for tomorrow's episode, which is what you're listening to now. Um, and we start with this question from Angelo Masso. Angelo says, uh, at Jason Merck, would you give up the mega package it would presumably take to trade for Elias Pettersson's RFA rights in the offseason if he doesn't want to sign in Vancouver? Um, short answer, yes. <laughs> uh, but I think we're a long way from that. Look, deals, a lot of times deals don't get done, an RFA deal especially, um, at this time of year. The agent's going to look to push this to the right to the limit of what Vancouver can stand. Because that's that's the leverage that he has. The leverage is that you have a player that, yeah, he's restricted, but he's really good. <laughs> so he's got a lot of cards here. So it's kind of two Rams like kind of butting heads. I don't think he's going to end up going anywhere. Um, I don't know what the package would look like to get Elias Pettersson's. RFA rights? I mean, do you offer sheet them? That's something you could do, but do you have the picks to be able to sign an offer sheet? Is the offer sheet the right way for Danny Briere to go at this point in his general managing tenure? Because a lot of teams could get turned off if you offer sheet a guy like Elias Patterson. So it's a very interesting one, but it's absolutely something that I'm not turning a blind eye to it if I'm the GM. Uh, if a player of that magnitude that was from the 2017 NHL draft is available or there's a way to pry him out of there, I have to do my due diligence and look at it. I have to. Um, the next question comes from uh, Boston Gary and Nelson and probably 10 other people that replied to this. But uh, we'll read Gary's and Nelson's real quick. Uh, Gary says, what are the plans moving forward? With the goaltending situation, Sandstrom's got an 889 save percentage in the minors. Torts wants to burn out. Uh, Torts doesn't want to burn out Sam. Uh, and then he goes, question mark. Uh, Jones, Flurry, Vimelka from Arizona is cheap too. Um, I don't think they want to trade anything for a goaltender. If they if a player can become available, like Flurry, no, take that out. That's not going to happen. Um, he's never going to waive his no-move clause to come to Philadelphia. 
Martin Jones, if he gets waived in Toronto, that absolutely is a possibility. There's a familiarity there. I think he can give you that four to six quality starts the rest of the way. And he's an old veteran pro that was a really good goalie in the league, went to a Stanley Cup final. Wasn't a great goalie, but was a good goalie. Uh, Vimelka in Arizona, it, I, I don't know if I look there either. I, I don't want to trade. I want to claim because I don't want to give anything up. Now, if you're saying, hey, maybe I'll give up a fifth-round pick or a fourth, you know, a sixth-round pick or whatever to get a guy, okay, maybe you can talk me into that. Um, but, you know, you're not going to go after a guy like Fleury. That doesn't make any sense. He wants to go somewhere where he's going to start. Arison's the starter here. So, Martin Jones, does does Toronto continue to carry three until they know their goalies are good and healthy? Maybe. That that sometimes the timelines don't match up. And that may be the situation with Martin Jones. But where do they go? Like I said, we're going to start this month of March on Friday with a back-to-back. Friday in Washington, Saturday at home against Ottawa. Then you got two days off, then it's St. Louis. A couple of days off, then you go to Florida and you get Florida and Tampa. <laughs> I mean, it's just 15 games in 30 days. It's crazy. I, I will say this. Obviously, Cal Peterson has been... Uh, put on waivers to be sent down to the Phantoms. And presumably at this point, if there's no claim of another goaltender or a trade, Sandstrom's coming up. And I will say this, and this may shock some people. If the Flyers don't upgrade the backup goaltender position, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I don't think they will. I don't think they can overcome it. And as much as I think Felix Sandstrom has... Some NHL abilities, he just has shown an inability to not allow the bad goal. So I can't go on anything else. Like, I like him. I like talking goaltending with him. But he has that ability to let in those bad goals. And at this time of year, that can't happen. So I will say it now that if they don't upgrade that backup goaltender position, I don't think they make the playoffs. Now, maybe they do because, you know, you look at the other teams in the division— they all have goaltending issues, too. Washington cannot keep the puck out of their net. They can't. They gave up an eight spot the other night. Flyers gave up seven the other day. So it's not like that's out of the realm of a possibility. But Washington, when you look at where they are in the standings, now they're in the, the fifth spot in the division, they're minus 33 in goal differential. That team is – I fail to believe that that team is going to catch the Flyers because they're just too porous defensively. The Devils, Dawes played well for a while, but – VTech vent like these teams don't have goaltending either. So that may be the saving grace that those teams don't have quality performances in goal. And the Flyers have it with Sam Harrison, who is going to get the bulk of the 22 games left. So if there's 22 left and Sam Harrison gets 17 or 18, you, I, you still need another goalie. You still got to find another goalie. And you got to you got to find it some way, somehow. But I cannot go out there and overpay for it. I can't go out there and give up a legitimate asset at given the situation in total. Um, Sean Moore tweets in and says, what's your ideal lineup when healthy and right now? And who do you want to see traded from a business perspective? Well, if everybody's healthy, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you're talking about line combinations. To me, that changes all the time. Um, so I'll give you the deep. Like, we, Obviously, I want Travis Konechny in the lineup, you know, when – when healthy, I want Jamie Drysdale and Rasmus Ristolainen in there. I mean, the 6D for me would be York, 
Sanheim, uh, Ristolainen, Drysdale, and um, you know I could have Zamula in there, or uh, you got Sealer and Walker still. Are they going to be traded? You know, I, I think those two players could be traded. I think one absolutely will be and needs to be um, to acquire a return, and that's probably Sean Walker. Like Sean Walker's been good here. Um, is this a career year for him? Is it able to be duplicated at 29? You're paying for the performance this year going forward after this year. But are you going to get the same play going forward after this year? So you got to consider all those things. Um, Mike Butts says, can this team stand pat at the deadline and still make the playoffs, meaning wait until the offseason to make moves? Well, they can make – there's certain moves that you can't make during the season. There's – I call them like franchise-altering moves, complicated trades – they're just not going to happen at the deadline. Teams can't reset their roster, reset their their cap and all that stuff at the deadline. Some teams just can't do it. So the conversations you have now lead to the trade that's going to happen in the offseason. So you can do both things. Um, look, I think that there's going to be, I think there's going to be some kind of wow. We didn't see that coming moment. Sunstroke says, I know hypothetical trades get most of the talk, of course, um, but thinking more of what they do if they end up with an extra first round or two, um, do you try to trade up as far as possible with said picks to hopefully nab Caden Lindstrom? Look, uh, it depends on you know where they're going to pick with the two. And this is a weird draft. There's a drop-off here. It's not like last year's draft. The drop-off is a little earlier. So say it's the eighth overall pick, there's a drop-off. But if you have a player in there, and you have those two first-round picks. Say it's the picks are 18 and 26. That's how they fall, your pick and Florida's pick. Um, and you have a player sitting there that is at 11 that you really like. You have graded out, and he should not be there at 11. You had him ranked at 6 or 7, something like that. You may grab your 18th pick and a second-rounder or – figure something out, some combination to move up from there to another, to, to a spot like a 12 to take them. So you could see those things happening. But th- th- there's a lot that goes into that. Everybody's draft board is different. Your draft board is also, what do you need? Because you have, I think this team needs to draft on need at this point, especially if you're not in the top 10. And how you have guys rated and who drops and who doesn't. And what the price is to move up two spots, four spots, six spots, to drop back, all those things. Well, they'll all come into play uh, coming up at the NHL entry draft. Um, uh, B Merch 47 says, I know your thoughts on Ghost as a player, but how would you say Drysdale game play style compares to Goss despairs? Um, it's hard to tell. You know, I, I think Ghost had more, sh- that I've seen so far, had more offensive upside and, and pedigree, and Drysdale, in the limited time we've seen him, it's really hard because we haven't seen a lot of him. But, I mean, he certainly de- defends better than Ghost. But then again, you do, Beamer, 47. There's a couple guys in the league that have good offensive minds from the blue line, like Eric Carlson. I mean, he's an elite offensive player from the blue line. But when you look at, if did you, if you watch the game on Sunday against Pittsburgh, Eric Carlson single-handedly kept the Flyers in the game. He wasn't bad defensively in the game for the Penguins in the 7-6 loss the Flyers had. He was hideous. 
He was directly responsible for four goals. I have not seen a bigger passenger on the blue line than I saw from Eric Carlson in a decade. I mean, it was – I'm sure the coach, Mike Sullivan, uh, wants to just pluck his nose hairs out watching that guy defend. Because it, and it – and it ends up, yeah, he does a ton of great stuff offensively, and it makes highlight reels and all that stuff. But he's a net negative player. And Ghost is the same thing. Look, I will tell you this, that – there was a goaltender here that played behind Shane Gossespear, and he told me against certain teams that when he was out there defending, it was like being on a PK. <laughs> he just couldn't win board battles. Was he a dynamic player? Yeah. Um, but it's hard. I can't compare Drysdale yet. I just haven't seen enough. Will Klein says, is the Flyers' power play too simple? He says, I watch other team buzz, teams buzz around and be constantly flipping spots, each other generating offense on cross-size passes and one-timers. He says, I feel like the Flyers are just shooting hope the rebound goes to a guy in front of the net and bang it in. Um, is it too simple? Sometimes. Um, when they move the puck well, they do get good opportunities. But I think it's a power play in desperate search of an identity in two ways. Number one, is it a power play that runs off the half wall? Or is it a power play that runs from a power play QB out top? What I can tell you right now, it's neither. Because they don't know. And you don't have, or we don't know who, is going to become the alpha of the power play. When Giroux was here, it was clear. Get the puck into the zone, get it to Giroux on the left half wall, and that's where everything starts. There was no confusion about it. The power play ran through him. Whether it was going to be set plays where they work it down low, low to high play to the bumper, where Wayne Simmons is on the side of the net, all that stuff. You have several different options in a typical 1-3-1 power play, which is one D-man up high, three forwards across, one guy down low that rotates net front and side of the net. And you can go back for the big point shot when Shane Gossespierre was here or go back to Chris Pronger. Um, yeah, but a power play needs to move. The, the death of offense in team sport is, is a, an ability to – a predictability and – if, a, if players aren't moving without the puck, they don't need to be accounted for. Or if you put yourself into a – this is something Kevin Hayes did a lot. Two things that Kevin Hayes did that drove me crazy is he would go to spots when he didn't have the puck where he didn't have to be accounted for. Like literally the defender could look at him and go, oh, you're over there? Oh, okay, that's cool. Hang out there. And he would. Or the other thing he would do on a power play or a situation where the Flyers had a ton of off offensive pressure is throw – a kind of a lazy dead angle shot at the goalie and he would just catch it and kill the play. <laughs> you know, you got to be smarter than that. You got to move. You got to be creating decisions for the defense in that situation. And there was a, a certain thing that I coached a lot on the teams that I coached because I saw from a goalie perspective when I played that it was a really big issue because it was the the confluence of two, three players at the same time having to make a decision on what to do. And invariably, if you put two, three players at the same time to a decision like that, you would have to, eventually, they would make the mistake. They would assume you're going to go there and I'm going to stay here or vice versa, some combination thereof. All right, so I broke out the whiteboard just to kind of talk about what that decision is. The, the decision, I used to call this the decision zone, and it's right here. So if you're in this area on the ice, 
and you come up this way, and you curl around the top of the circle, this is on a power play or five on five, the D doesn't know whether I should come out here to go with you, chase you out, or the winger doesn't know if I should come down to crash down. So each guy's got to make a decision. This is the decision zone. Plus, I'm moving the mic or the puck around this way to the middle of the ice. This guy doesn't, weak side winger doesn't know if to come over high and cut me off. And if he does, now I got a backdoor guy. If he comes up here, he comes up, then I can power it, come across to this point guy. If this winger crashes down, I can come back to this point. He can go across, and I'm driving back door. There's so many options coming off this area in what I always call the decision zone. And as a goalie, when you see a player go into that decision zone, you got to literally be calling it out. D, stay with him. Winger, come down. you got to have the switch. But that there's like five decisions that have to take place just by curling off the top of the circle. The decision zone. It's hell. It was a, an area that every team I ever coached on or I played on, we tried to attack it like that because it created all these different decisions to be made. And eventually, somebody's going to make the wrong decision. They're not going to be on the same page, and you're going to exploit it, and you're going to get a great opportunity. That. Whether you score or not, that's up to you. But that's the decision zone. Um, let's go to uh, Jim Shovelin. He says, do you think Torts keeps the lineup the same for this weekend? As in regards to Cam and Coots, do you think he's going to roll with younger players until he stops seeing results? He said, I think the play should determine the roster. How about you? Always. Always, 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 always the play determines not only roster, uh, but usage. It's why I say it all the time, Jim. I, I, I never listen to what a coach says about a player. I don't care what a coach says about a player. It's, sometimes it can be cute. It can be messaging through media, whatever. The thing, the way you can really tell that how a coach feels about a player and the way he's playing is the way he's used. That's the truth meter There's no two ways about it. I, I think that they're going to, I know Torts in his post game the other night said, you know, Coots only playing 12 minutes in that game and being on the fourth line with Nick Delarier and Lixell wasn't um, in a way to manage him. It was based on, I, th- I think part of it is managing boot, uh, uh, Coots to get a reboot into his season, let him recover a little bit because he's going to need, he knows he needs him down the stretch. Um, I, I think that was a little bit of messaging, but I don't expect to see heavy minutes for Couturier immediately. I think in certain situations, like we saw in the third period of that game against Tampa, um, John Tortorella is going to get him out there in certain situations, key D zone draws or whatever it might be. I think that that absolutely will happen. Ethan says, uh, if the Flyers do make the playoffs, what do you think is the ultimate expectation? And will there be higher expectations in the future? Or will it be a repeat of the 2019 season in a way that will be in for the long run for a three- or four-year slump? Um, no, I, I think this is about, you know, this rebuild is about doing exactly not what the, the opposite or not what they did in 1920 where they played a really good year. They had a really good year. They played above their head, but it wasn't sustainable. This is different. This is building it from the foundation. That was older players and aging players leading the charge. Drew, Voratek, all of those guys. Simmons was gone already, but all of those guys leading the way. This is about these young guys leading the way with some veterans mixed in. So I think that's the big difference. Ethan also said, who's the next goalie in the pipeline? And when do you expect a goalie to be signed from our farm system as an ELC? 
He said, I know Hart was brought up fairly early in his career. Do you see when anyone else being brought up that isn't Felix Sandstrom? Not right now, I don't. Um, Kolosov is not here yet. Um, I think he will be here soon, but I think he'll finish this season in the AHL. I think to put him in the NHL would be grossly unfair for a guy that came from the KHL, hasn't played in North American style, and to just throw him into this mix I think would be very unfair. I've talked about this before. When the NHL had its lockout and they had the shortened season in 2013, I guess it was, Semyon Varlamov went over and played in the KHL in Russia. He'd already been an NHL goalie, established. And he went back and played in the KHL for that period of time until they got going. And when he came back, he said, I had to relearn how to play in North America. This is a guy that already played in the NHL. And he had to relearn how to play in North America because of the smaller rink and the traffic. They don't put any traffic around the goalies over there. Bill and I talked about this on Monday's episode. Um, so to just put Kolos off in that position and go, okay, you're the next Igor Shosturkin, or you're the next uh, Ilya Sorokin, or the Andre Vasilevsky coming from Russia. No. First of all, those guys didn't get here until they were 25, and they had a chance to adjust. So I don't think you'll look at it like that. Um, Nick says, uh, we'll get to a couple more. We'll do some more of these tomorrow. He said, what's your biggest takeaway so far since Danny and Jonesy took over? And what is your boldest prediction for the trade deadline with the Flyers? All right. Um, my biggest takeaway from Danny and Jonesy is, to me, it's that the, you know, everything you hear publicly is what we hear behind the scenes, is resolute to the process. Resolute to, hey, we're not going to get caught with fool's gold here. If they make the playoffs, great. Push all, do, do as much as you can. But we're not pushing in future equity for now in the moment gains. That's not going to change. The other biggest takeaway is something maybe you guys don't see a lot or hear about, but it is the culture behind the scenes. It's immensely different. I've been with the team in some capacity, even when I was doing the radio show since I think back in 2008. So it's been about 16 years. And I was there when Mr. Snyder was still alive, everything. But the way the culture has returned in all of the positive ways has been my biggest takeaway. What it feels like to walk in the building or to walk in the offices at the practice facility, to go into the lot. I think it permeates everywhere. As far as my biggest, pre, uh, boldest prediction for the trade deadline, um, I think the Flyers could end up uh, this is a, a total bold prediction, but I think they could wow some people with an acquisition that we didn't see coming for a player with considerable term um, that would fit on your blue line in your top four, maybe in your top pair. And I don't mean on the right side. So maybe maybe something like that could happen. Uh, one more. John Cree says, Tyson Forster's defensive metrics are fantastic. Can he ever be a center in the NHL? I don't think he's a player you want to put in the middle. I, you don't want him to be a playmaker. You can be a really good defender as a winger. You can you can win a Selkie as a winger. Uh, no, I would not move him into the middle. I want him as a flank shooter. To me, that would that would be taking him taking his greatest NHL asset away. You can still be really good defensively in all zones, though, and good in board battles as a winger. 
you need to. I mean, obviously, as a winger, you need to be good on board battles as well. So, um, no, I'd, I would not move him to the middle. Just because I, I know we need – the Flyers need middle depth and some players, high-end players in the middle. Uh, I'm not moving Tyson Forster there. I'm not square peg in the round hole. All right, uh, we'll get to a bunch more. God, there's so many more I want to get to. Uh, we'll do that coming up tomorrow in the next couple of days as well. So if you submitted a question, comment, or concern, um, we will get to them in a future episode. I promise you that. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy uh, your Thursday. Flyers will be back tomorrow in D.C. to take on the Caps. We'll preview that tomorrow. We'll get to more Flyers Twitter questions, emails, and much more on another brand-new Flyers Daily.